Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode two of the great Mahan Khalsa's treatise on sales, influence, and how to get whatever you want. Let's get real or let's not play. We introduced the concept. Mahan is a cool dude. You know, he was getting up at 3.30 in the morning and taking cold showers and meditating and then just kind of like fell into running a company and being rich as hell. And so he struggled with how to do sales and be an authentic, cool dude. But he walked us through that and he, he told us, you know what? Though I struggled, I figured it out. If you listen up to me, I can help you out. He started, he started to walk into his key beliefs. We've gone through a couple, um, but we're, we're going to... F- we're going to hit on a few more, then we're going to move into his actual methodology. So the, the third key belief that he has is that solutions have no inherent value. Now, um, that, that does presuppose a little bit that you know anything about fucking sales. Um, so like, let me, let me clarify that a little bit for us, for us baboons out there. But um, when you think of sales, when you think of how to sell things like you what what you think is that oh i'm gonna learn my product really well you know like let's say i sell i sell grass seed you know i'm just gonna learn my product really well and then i'm just gonna be like it's the best grass seed in indiana and i'm just gonna do that so many times that like eventually i just talk to enough people i'm like it's the best grass seed in indiana and they're like okay fine man cool i'll buy it but what mahan's saying is that's an old school and fucking idiotic dumbass way to think about it because actually the best grass seed in indiana doesn't mean anything to anybody if they don't aren't wanting to buy grass seed and they don't live in indiana you know think of the sham wow guy he's a dancing monkey repeating the same words and blasted across infomercials just immediately presenting regardless of who's listening you know so you just walk by you know it's like a perfect example it's the people at walmart and you walk by them and they're like hey who's your cable provider we're like "Ooh, hi i actually am from michigan like well why are you in indiana uh leave me alone like so that just presenting your solution i mean it can kind of work in pockets but really what mahan's going to help us understand is is solutions themselves have no inherent value they only get value if they solve a problem or if they give a result to a prospect so two examples for me dude i'm 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 dying on this hill maybe okay i don't want to go so far as to say i'll die on this hill but tsa pre-check okay so tsa pre-check is you can pay extra money for tsa pre-check and then you know what you know what they do they give you as good of customer service as the average McDonald's. So what TSA basically is saying is like, hey, we're so fucking shitty that if you pay us extra money, we'll do our job less good than the average 16-year-old child 
that's what that's what it is and and i gotta pay like i don't know 60 bucks for five years which is still not very much but it's the principle of the thing the solution of going even faster through tsa that has no value to me because dude i've got a fucking moral problem with a quasi-governmental agency extorting me to do their own fucking job another example planet fitness they love purple they have ads they they hate bodybuilders they have a lunk alarm and it's an alarm where anybody grunting oh lightweight baby it'll go off they don't have benches so they don't have bet like they don't have bench press there's no yelling there's no grunting they have pizza night pizza night you know i i would pay you one dollar a month to not have to go to fucking planet fitness if there was even any other option so the solution of planet fitness has no inherent value to me it actually has negative inherent value and so that's what mahan is saying is that solutions themselves they derive value only from the problems they solve that people care about and or from producing results that people value. Solutions must solve something. If there's nothing the client wants to solve, there's no value to the proposed solution. You know, hey, I'll help you go faster through TSA. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, oh shit, okay, okay. Understanding this axiom guides everything we do with clients. How you sell is a free sample of how you solve. It does not demonstrate good critical thinking skills if you are willing to talk about a solution without examining some of the assumptions listed earlier. Yet consultants do so a large percentage of the time. When you start talking about a solution before understanding what it is supposed to solve, you decrease client confidence, lessen your credibility, and significantly reduce your ability to produce an exact solution. So, so what that means is like, if you just jump into presenting your solution, you know, I was the best grass seed in Indiana, and I'm talking to you, and I'm like, hey man, what do you do for a living? Like, oh, you know, I sell grass seed. You know, it's the best grass seed in Indiana. Like, wh where's your, wh where's your yard? Like, you definitely need some of this. I'm like, bitch, I'm never gonna plant grass seed leave me alone like you demonstrate a fundamental lack of critical thinking ability if you just start like without knowing enough with with seriously without having any context you start telling a client this is what you need because bitch you don't know what they need now caveat to that is sometimes you'll just get that animalistic spider sense that just is like i could close this right fucking now and if that's the case and based on experience, dude, discard the process and close it. But even the knowledge of knowing that there is a process, that's important. Mahan says, there's a mutual conspiracy between clients and consultants to talk about the solution early on. We love talking about the solution. It's our comfort zone. We understand it. You know, best grass seed in Indiana. We know it. It's about us. My grass seed was better than any other that came before it. It's our solution and it is really great. What about clients? They like to believe there's a magic formula that they can throw some money at the situation and everything will be okay. Let's say you got a bunch of mold in your yard and I'm a client. I don't know what the solution is, but you know what this guy says? This guy says it's the best grass seed in Indiana. Hell yeah. It's more comfortable. You know, so think back even to the, um, like, 
let's let's contrast the if I'm a client even how much emotional investment do I need to make to stand there while the sham wow guy presents at me versus going to a therapist session you know if you're going to a therapist session you say something like I just don't know if it's ever going to work out and therapist's like well what do you mean and you're like well I just feel like I'm cursed and the therapist's like well tell me more about that well you know I just thought we grew up and I just never nothing went well for me okay is it possible that maybe it starts in your childhood blah 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 now like compare and contrast those one you're standing there and then you can just like walk away you're like "Mm, yeah fuck off shamwell guy the other is like but you already got to their fucking childhood like you are um finding and exploring those deep human issues and so the mutual conspiracy is that both client and consultant they kind of just like ignore all the facts that to, to actually get that exact solution that that solves the problem you need to actually discuss and talk about it and be vulnerable they just there's a mutual conspiracy where where shitty salespeople and clients just like talk about the solution then they walk away and so we'll talk about this a lot deeper but um but to illustrate explicitly how solutions have no inherent value uh, Mahan has a, a step in his sales process called move off the solution, which is top professionals have the ability to move off the solution. They withhold offering a solution until they have intelligently explored the problems to be solved and or the results to be achieved. They organize their questioning to get to get meaningful answers to critical assumptions. They do so in a way that is comfortable, conversational and time efficient when done well clients gain insight and understanding of their situation so we're still in the key beliefs but what he's saying is that's like someone says hey you know like you're let's say you're selling cars and you're at the car dealership someone comes up and is like hey can you show me some of your cars instead of being like sure well here's this one and here's that one and here's this one and here's that one because that way you're still engaging this mutual conspiracy where clients just hearing about the solution and salespersons just talking about the solution, but actually nothing's getting done, you move off it. You're like, hey, this is kind of a dumb question, but like, when you say car, do you mean car or do you mean truck? Like, what do you even mean by car? And also, I've got a lot of cars. Like, what do you plan on using it? Like, do you have a family? Uh, Are you planning on off-roading? How important is fuel economy to you? And so you do that, you move off the solution, you start asking questions, then you're off, you're in the method. Which brings us actually to key belief four. Which, and remember, intent counts more than technique, but method matters, which is key belief four. The order methodology can help us take a complex, sometimes even chaotic series of events and processes and represent them in an understandable, repeatable, and transferable way. They can help integrate sophistication with simplicity. You know, if any sales method is too sophisticated, it will not be used. And if it is too simple, it will not make a difference. Many business development methodologies tend to emphasize completeness and thoroughness over ease of adoption and application. So it's like the Myers-Briggs personality test. Really cool, but like, there's no fucking way that I can like thin slice Myers-Briggs type people compared to the disc profile which is d-i-s-c and i can just be like oh, okay you know this person's a high d 
do this. This person's, oh, they're, they're a C, do this. So what he's saying is that same thing in sales, there's, there's sales methodologies that are, that are good probably, but they're so fucking complicated and complete that no one uses them. And then there are sales methodologies that are just like memorize a bunch of closing lines that are like easy, but incomplete, but good news. His method. Yep. Bitch is perfect. The following is a brief overview of the order methodology and its key components. The rest of this book examines each component in detail. So we've talked about this, but um, his method is order. It's an acronym. It's opportunity, resources, decision, exact solution, and results. And so the opportunity is, should they do it? And, And now this is like the being a good dude at scale. You're just trying to figure out like, do they have a need? Do they have pain? Because you can't help somebody succeed who has no perceived needs or wants. No pain, no gain, no opportunity. You can develop a mutual understanding of an opportunity by examining the following. Issues. What problems or results is the client trying, trying to address? In what priority? Evidence. How do we define the problem? How, how do we measure success? Impact. What are the financial and intangible costs and benefits? Context. Who or what else is affected by the issues and the solution? Constraints. What has stopped the organization from resolving these issues? So he's laying this out, but like when you start having a conversation about, um, you know, hey, when you, when you start having a sales conversation, you move off the solution and then you try to figure out, okay, well, what are the issues, man? Like, hey, I need a car. Okay, well, what are you trying to do? Like, what problems are you trying to solve or what results are you trying to get? Evidence. You're like, okay, well, do you have other cars that can just solve that? Or, or like, like, convince me that that's real. Impact. So it's like, what happens when you can't go into work? Like, well, you know, if I can't drive a car into work, like, I'm going to get fired. Context. Like, but does your wife have a car? Like, tell me more about that. And then constraints. Like, how long has this been going on? A year. Okay, well, that seems like a really long time. Like, how have you been managing for a year? When you start out and you're having a sales conversation, you start at opportunity. And we'll dive in way deeper in all of this, but just given a preview, which gets to the, the next is resources. Um, which so, so now you figure out, like, is it a problem? Once you figure out, is it a problem? Now you figure out, can they do it? Even if there is a substantial opportunity, which remember he's defining as pain or gain, you cannot help someone succeed who has insufficient resources. You must examine three things, time, people, money. So time, when are they hoping to, re- to see the results in place? People, what people resources are they, will- are they willing to commit? Money, what level of investment is appropriate for the desired results? So once you, in his methodology of order, opportunity, the first part, it is you know like is there even a problem next you move to okay there is a problem do are they set up that they can solve the problem you know like if a homeless person comes in is like man you know what i really like to buy is a home They're like oh cool i love homes tell me more but they don't have any money <laughs> and then like okay well how are you going to solve the problem so as we're going through this is it a problem can they solve it based on do they have you know are they, are they hoping to get it solved 
immediately imagine like you're selling um custom home building services and someone's like i want a home in the next week i have a million dollars but but i got you have to build me a home in a week like well okay that's still impossible so the three things you're looking at are time people money that's opportunity that's resources move into decisions uh how will the decision be made and by whom so this is where it's almost like implying that you have a little bit of sales training or you work a sales job but in in a complicated sale there's multiple decision makers you know think about like a silly example but painting your fraternity neon green okay how many people would have to be involved in that decision to make that pass well, you'd have the president you'd have the house manager there'd be some sort of a vote for you know all the people who are members of the fraternity and if you're se- if you're selling the concept of painting the house fucking green then you've got to figure out like what's the pro- like what's the process okay so you're making a decision at chapter um the president can make it but it, it, you know there's got to be a vote and like how will the decision be made like when are you guys de- when are you guys deciding and so once you figure out it's an opportunity yes they also have the resources like how are you guys going to decide if this makes sense or not so that's ORD. Um, the the next the next step um, of his sales process is E exact solution. And you know I think if you're thinking about sales and where people make mistakes, people make mistakes because they just start at the exact solution. They just start by presenting. You know, hey, can you show me some cars? Like, sure, I got a blue one. I got a I got a red one. I got a black one. And so um, the exact solution. Is basically just like give a good presentation about just what they care about okay and then the last R R so O R D E R is results and it's like don't screw over once because they'll they'll buy more later um, so we're still in key beliefs but he's saying you know the the you know fourth key belief is that like yes intent counts more than technique but method matters that's a quick preview of his method Order is depicted in a linear fashion, but in practice, it is applied in an iterative way. (laughs) God damn it. I fucking hiccups, by the way, too. The information that comes from ORD is often developed over many conversations, like fitting pieces into a puzzle over time. Even though there's a logical progression of ORD before ER, elements of ER will enter into our ORD discussion. The better the job we we do with ORD, the higher the probability of success. In ER, if there's not a qualified opportunity with sufficient available resources and there's not a clearly defined decision process with access to the people we need to see, then neither our client nor we have earned the solution. So what he's saying is like, yes, I, you know, and and this, this is where he's that third type of sales trainer where he's been in the fucking trenches. He's done this shit before and he realizes that like, yeah, you want to have a cool method, O-R-D-E-R, but in reality, bro, this is fucking prison knife fighting, okay? So sometimes, sometimes the only way that you'll, you'll be allowed into a sales conversation is they'll make you dance right away. They'll be like, hey, you know, can you show me, can, you know, can, can you come and give me a demo about, about your software? What are you going to do? Say no? You're going to say yes. So like, maybe you're going to have to start with, with E-R, like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll dance for you a little bit, but... I would really love to know what type of what type of party you're thinking I'm going to be dancing at since you know last time I twerked at a kid's birthday party I got coached that I was publicly intoxicated and was going to be arrested. 
So O-R-D-E-R is a great thought, but in reality also, hey, if you start, like I've had a, I had a sales call where the guy was like, hey, I want a data warehouse. I'm thinking my budget's 120,000. 120, How possible is that? And I was like, oh, I think we can figure it out. So like sometimes it'll, it'll start just in the R. It'll start in resources. And so start anywhere, go everywhere is, is the root of what he's trying to say. You know, maybe you're going to even start in presenting, but, but you got to get back and you got to also talk about the opportunity, the resources, the decision. So that was key belief four, that method mattered. That's his method. Key belief five, world-class inquiry precedes world, world-class advocacy. So inquiry, asking questions, advocacy, advocacy, telling, if you want to tell the best if you want to give the most slick fucking perfect sales presentations the way you give the most slick fucking perfect sales presentations is you ask really really good questions and you figure out exactly what the person cares about then you come you come back and you you present only on what they care about so he's saying like you gotta be fucking good at sniffing out the answer to who the fuck cares uh, this book is dedicated to mutual exploration and to the goal of a solution that, that truly meets the client's needs. It may not happen every time, but it definitely can happen far more often than it does now. Okay, so that's his key beliefs. He's going to move a little bit into uh, qualifying. So in sales, there's a concept called qualifying, which is like when you start talking to someone about a, poten- a potential sales opportunity... You know, you're talking to him and, and, and it can range anywhere from, holy shit, this guy has a bunch of money and a giant problem. We can totally help him to, I don't even know why you're talking to me. This doesn't, this doesn't seem like a big problem. And so the goal of qualifying is to weed out, weed out the shitty opportunities quickly so that you end up only working super fucking awesome giant opportunities. So it's not a problem or an opportunity until the client says it is. A deal is not qualified because we think it is, it's qualified because that's what the client says. But also broadly, Bahan is gonna cover a few mental models he, he uses, you know, almost like sales principles or sales tools. So when we are qualifying these deals, which like, you know, there's this, there's like a threshold of like, like how hot is this girl like how how good of a deal is this and so qualifying is almost like that step that hap- happens before you're even in the sales conversation of determining like is this deal even w- worth either of our time and so when we're qualifying before we even get into order we need a few tools so just like seal team six has competitions to see who can get a knife or a pistol kill, Mahan provides us with some tools. The first is no guessing. If our intent is to help clients succeed, we have both the right and the obligation not to guess about the key elements of that success. Getting real is partly defined by by our ability to stop guessing and find out what is really going on. Don't guess if it's a big problem. Don't guess if they have the resources. Don't guess about what is their decision-making process. Much of the guessing we do involves our interpretation of what people mean by the words they use. 
language is imprecise. So that's a tool, you know, in the same way that SEAL Team 6 has a fucking hatchet that they like to hack through terrorist heads with. This is a tool for sales, which is the concept of no guessing. And so that could be at a strategic level, you know, don't just guess. Well, I think he's the decision maker. Like, got to ask, got to figure it out. But it could also be at the super tactical level, even the words people use. You know, like I was talking to a client one time and they were like, hey, I want a dashboard. And, and you know, just stolen directly from Mahan. I'm always like, you know, one thing I've learned is that dashboard means different things to different people. When you say dashboard, what do you mean? And it's amazing how they'll be like, well, I actually want a report out of my shitty fucking system and I want it once every six months. In my mind, dashboard is like a, a directly integrating living dashboard. And they were thinking of like a report once every six months. So fucking different. Or I had another sales call where the lady kept saying, you know, well, my decision maker wants to see this. And I was like, hmm, when you say your decision maker, can you help me understand what that means? And can we talk to them? So first tool is no guessing. To avoid guessing and assuming, it is helpful to listen carefully to the key words or phrases clients use, and then ask what those words mean to them. The, so the questions that we we're like too scared to ask, but you know it forms in our mind, but for whatever reason we don't want to ask it, and then and then we guess about the answer. That's the problem. You got to just ask. You know these could be. I've never heard this, but <laughs> Mahan says sometimes the questions are minor curiosities, like man. What the fuck did you paint your walls green? The other, often, they are mission critical. They may be the moose on the table questions. Questions that are essential to doing business or not, to succeeding or not, yet seem potentially embarrassing or challenging to ask. If you feel it, say it gently. No guessing. The next tool, the next metaphorical hatchet for SEAL Team 6 Slow down for yellow lights. When you're driving, particularly when you're anxious to arrive somewhere important and you encounter a yellow light, what do you do? If you are like many people, you go faster. Yellow lights have almost become the universal symbol for speed up. So, okay, so this is a second um, like tool. You know, still probably in this qualifying, you know, like, how are we, you know, does it even make sense to keep talking type thing. Uh, but I recently went out to a bar for my wife's 30th birthday because time is passing for both of us. And we had a reservation at 730. Well, we get there at like 718 and the front guy, the front desk guy is like, I'm like, hey, we got a reservation. He's like, well, you know, I just, I just don't know. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Uh, well, there's a concert across the street. Like, maybe, you know, if you possibly came back, like, like we, you know, if you come back after eight, we can definitely get you seated. And my, that's yellow light. I'm like, if I live in this gas, I'm like, well, oh, hold on. I need to understand. Like, is our reservation fucking at 730 and we're just a little early? Or do I need to come back after eight and I'm not going to be seated until then? You know, if I just live in the guess that 
that maybe possibly this might kind of work, but there's a huge possibility I've got to wait 40 minutes because these people are idiots. Um, I can't do that. So slow down for yellow lights is like, hey, it doesn't sound like you're very confident that we can get in at our reservation. Do we need to go somewhere else? And this is important because like in isolation for one specific little deal, the risk of something going wrong if you have a yellow light, it's probably pretty low. But if you're working 50 deals over a year and a meaningful percentage of them will blow up because you just didn't have the courage to ask the scary question, the yellow light question, you can't lose something you don't have. Grab your metaphorical dick and be a metaphorical man. If hitting a red light on the road of opportunity is unavoidable, when would you like to hit it? As soon as possible. So if they were like, hey, yeah, sorry, actually, you know what? We can't get you in until 8. Like, well, I want to know that at 7.18, not at 7.40 when I'm starving and pissed. So state the obvious. Yellow lights are doubts, stalls, concerns, fears, objections, or tough questions. They can be raised by either the client or you. Yellow lights can be obvious. They can be obvious like, we don't have any budget for this, or... The CEO will never buy in or we've been working with your competitor for 10 years and we love them, but we want to see your proposal or yellow lights can be subtle. We can just sense a lack of congruence between the words they say and how they say them. Their nonverbal language is disquieting. You know, something's just something in your gut signals trouble. Yellow lights are often indicators that even if you have a solution that exactly meets the client's needs, the client will not buy it. Or you may feel you will not be able to construct a solution that exactly meets the client's needs because, the, because of a client's belief, actions, or lack of action. Pay attention, slow down. So it could be obvious, you know, I don't, I don't work with people with brown hair. Fuck, okay. Or it can be subtle. You just kind of feel like they don't like you. Or you feel like you're just missing the mark. Or it could be, hey, I want you, I want to, I have a million dollars, but I need you to build me a house in a week. Like, uh, that's impossible. Okay, so you got to pay attention and slow down. And if you do find a yellow light, this is what Mahan suggests to do about it. I have a concern. And so half of sales is like, not memorizing, but like learning these repeatable verbal structures that you can fall back upon when you don't really know what to do. And so when you hit a yellow light, what you do is you say, I have a concern. Uh, and he's going to go through a, a three-part response. Um, so without undue emotional charge, so not like, you're an idiot, like, hey, I have a concern or, you know, I'm confused or I think we might have a problem. That's the first part. The second part is you state the concern, the confusion, or the potential problem. You know, you state the fatal flaw that prevents arriving at a solution that exactly meets their needs. And three, you ask what you think should, you ask what they think should happen next. So, so you found a yellow light, you have a three-part response. I have a concern. This is my concern. What do you think we should do next? So let's say you're on a date with a lady and she says she hates tattoos, but you're tatted as fuck boy, including a giant cheetah tattooed on your lower back. She's like, I, I don't like guys that have 
that have tattoos. Three-part response. Hey, I have, a, I have a concern. Or can I bring something up that's a little uncomfortable? You said you don't like tattoos. I feel like this date is going great. I feel like you're hot. I'm hot. We already kissed. But I want to be upfront and honest. I've got a leopard tattoo on my lower back. What do you think we should do? Another example. A client requests a feature you don't provide. Step one. I think we may I think we may have a problem or I have a concern or I'm confused. Two, state the concern. We do everything else you've mentioned and we do it well. We just don't do X and we don't plan to do X in the near future. Step three, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do about it? You know, so an example of what could happen is the client gives you a green light. Oh, um, that's cool. I don't even fucking care about that feature. They give you a red light. Well, if you don't have that feature, it's a deal breaker. Or it's still a yellow light and you have to talk about it more. Another example, let's say the client seems uncertain about whether they can get buy-in from key stakeholders. You know, they're like, well, you know, yeah, just like when, when we present this to the board, we need to be really sure it comes across as this way. And what do you, so what do you do? Well, first is, hey, I got, I got a little concern that maybe let me throw out. Um, it sounds like the board really isn't up to speed on any of this. And, you know, if, if they're not involved and I just feel like this is doomed to fail, what do you think we should do? And dude, this shit is so powerful. It is seriously like jujitsu. You know, like if you think about it too much, you almost can't believe it's real. Uh, and that there's honestly like a best way to choke someone unconscious with your legs, but it is, you know, so this is the same, you know, if you over intellectualize it, it won't work as well. Uh, but if you just fucking burn that three part response into your soul, dude, now you've got a baller rear naked choke and you can make people go to sleep because red lights are not bad. They're just red lights. They don't even mean that the opportunity is over. It just means that we've hit a deal stopper, which if unresolved will mean it's over. And so armed with a hatchet and a thirst for blood, we walk into the order methodology. Now, there's some really cool graphs and you know, cool is like very loosely used here, but um, you need to read the book to like truly understand this. I'm going to give you the, the best I got, little buddy. But ORD, Opportunity Resources Decision, that's taking place in the qualifying step where you're, you're honestly trying to figure out like, is this girl hot enough to even date? You're trying to figure out, is this opportunity even worth anybody's fucking time? So you dig into the opportunity step, you dig in the resources, you, you dig into the decisions. And then it's a very reasonable answer. And likely a good answer if if any of those are like you know it's not a good enough opportunity you walk away you initiate walking away as the salesperson and then you see what happens because maybe maybe you were wrong and they're like no this is important but ORD takes place in the qualifying step ER the exact solution and then the results which we're hardly gonna ever we're like hardly gonna fucking talk about it um that's taking place after you've qualified the opportunity. So walking into this, we are in qualifying and beginning to talk about the ORDER methodology. And I'm going to put 
uh, I'm gonna put this graphic, a screenshot of this graphic from Kindle Cloud Reader on my fucking website, www.curiouslydisagreeable.com. And then I'm gonna email Mahan and be like, hey, buddy, don't sue me. I promise I love your book. So when you listen to this, this might, I might be dead. It might be taken off the website, but I'll, uh, I'll put a graphic up there that should help as we talk through this. But let's do our best. Open your eyes, minds, and taints and into opportunity. The penalty for poor qualification is severe. The dialogue around opportunity is of particular importance. So if you poorly qualify, you might end up with an ugly wife. You might end up working a bad deal. Most situations require we have the opportunity conversation with the many individuals who will influence the decisions and allocate the resources. Each person will have a perspective on a solution that will exactly meet their company's needs. If there's not a, a strongly perceived opportunity, nothing else matters. So, um, again, context that you probably need to understand or have in this situation is like, if you're working a complex deal, like let's say you're selling a $400,000 data warehouse project. Okay, well, what you do is there's like, Usually, there's at usually at least two fucking people who make that decision. Usually, more actually like five. Okay, and so if you don't do a good job at this, you'll just come in and you'll just present at five people who you've never talked to and say, you know, our solution is the best because we have native native Azure integration and blah 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 blah. And then you you go back and you're like, I think that went well. But what he's really saying is that part of this order methodology is just a bunch of different people okay they're and they're all having a slightly different view of what the data warehouse metaphorically is trying to solve and so you want to have like in a complex sale you actually are having like seven different conversations let's say there's seven decision makers or seven people involved in this you have seven different order conversations with seven different people and then you have like a meta order conversation with the larger group to walk everybody through this whole process but regardless of when that's happening uh the the authors offer the following opportunity checklist to aid in the mutual understanding of the opportunity so you're in the opportunity step you moved off the solution you say hey uh, can you show me some of your cars like okay when you say car what do you mean um got to figure out the issues what you know what problems are you trying to solve like hey are you trying to dispose of a body or you got a big family you want to go really fast like what you want to race um next is evidence how do we define the problem impact context constraints and so that's what we're going to dive into we're in the opportunity step we got to move off the solution we got to get out all the issues we got to prioritize them we got to gather evidence and impact and then we have to explore context and constraints the rest of this chapter in examines in depth each element of a structured opportunity conversation and gives examples of how to ask effective questions. Okay, so you have an opportunity. Now, some psychologist says that humans are wired to exert effort in response to one of three key stimuli, pain, gain, or novelty. We want less pain and we will move away from it. We want more gain and we will move towards it. We notice what is new in our environment and we'll pay attention to it 
until we assess whether it moves us away from pain or toward gain. So a client is unlikely to move toward any of our solutions if they are not experiencing an unacceptable amount of pain or strongly seek a meaningful new gain. The short and sweet rule of qualifying the opportunity is no pain, no gain, no opportunity. I summarize that by saying, who the fuck cares? So, you're, you know, as you're thinking about this opportunity step and you're talking to a client and you're talking to somebody, you got to figure out, like, who the fuck cares? If You know, like, let's say I go buy a boat and they're like, hey, do you want a boat? I'm like, well, I mean, kind of. Like, well, okay, okay, well, here's our boat. It's really awesome. It's really cool. But you got to figure out, like, okay, what issues is, am I trying to solve with the boat? Well, no issues. I can't, I don't have a place I could drive the boat. Like, okay, well, why do you want a boat? Like, oh, it'd be kind of cool. Make me happy right now. And then you end up wheeling that all the way back to, I'm just kind of sad right now. And I think buying a boat will make me happier. But in reality, bitch, I don't have a budget for that. I've been just going to go eat a blizzard at Dairy Queen. So we've got to figure out, like, are there pains or gains you know, in a business context, the word problem is a synonym for pain and the word result is a synonym for gain. The authors use the word issue for either a problem or a result. Consequently, as used here, an issue can be either negative or positive. The intent of moving off the solution is to better understand the issues that the solution must address. If you cannot find important problems or desired results, you probably have low client motivation and a low probability opportunity. Yeah, if the whole reason that I'm coming and looking at a boat is so I feel cool about myself and I can take pictures for the gram, that's not a good opportunity if I'm selling a boat. So as we're going into this, um, the first step of the order methodology is you, is you move off the solution. And so he's got a whole tactic for this. Um, but like the summary is don't be a dick about it, but like, you're a lot of times when you start talking to somebody in a persuasive situation, in a sales conversation, it's going to start by talking about the solution. Hey, can you show me some of your cars? Can you give me a demo of your software? Can you show me a case study of the, the yard and landscaping work that you've done for other clients? And then we can talk about if it makes sense to do it for me. And so the whole tactic is you you move away from that solution and you say, hey, sure, I'm happy to tell you why our accounting firm is the best. First things first, though, we're actually not the best fit for everyone. You know, we, we specifically focus on X. Can I ask, you're obviously here for a reason. What's causing you to even think about leaving your current firm? And then hopefully they just move with you and instead of you just barking about how wonderful your accounting firm is, you can figure out, are you really a good fit for this client or not? And he's specifically calling this out and we're just hammering this because most, many, almost all sales conversations have this magnetic pull to immediately talk about the solution. You know, you're buying a car, you immediately want to start test driving cars. And the salesperson immediately wants to start presenting cool cars to you. 
you know, you're looking at a new piece of software and you start interacting with a salesperson, it isn't long before they start fucking demoing at you. So how do you move off the solution? Well, really just like be a person, you know, if in doubt, be human. But a few things you can do. One is, um, okay, well, what kind of problems have you been experiencing by not having a boat? Um, no problems. Okay, well, what results are you trying to achieve with the boat? Uh, it'd be kind of cool for Instagram. Hmm. Another example of the move is, uh, let's say you put in a world-class solution and it was working well today. What would that allow you to do as a business that you can't do today? So, hey, let's say that we put in a wood-burning stove for your house. Like, how would that, how would your life be different if you had that than if you didn't have that? Like, oh man, well, it'd be so cool. I love fire. Like, it's relaxing to me. It's like my favorite thing ever. Plus, it would save me a bunch of money so I don't have to, you know, do the propane thing. Like, hmm, okay. Um, let's do a few more examples. So, let's say that you have a client that uh, comes to you and says, we need a company-wide ERP system. So that's like the core system that you run a business on. We need a company-wide ERP system and are unsure whether to go with an off-the-shelf implementation or develop a customized solution. We feel we have a lot of unique needs. What would you recommend? So that's a great example because you're in there. They give you a tiny, tiny bit of details. We're trying to figure out, do we build it or buy it? What do you recommend? Well, if you sell ERP systems, there's a huge temptation to be like, well, I recommend you buy it off the shelf because of these reasons and this and this. And let me show you a little bit about my software. If you're a consultant, you're like, well, you know, what I think you should probably do is, is you need to come in and you need, a, you need a software selection project. But in reality, you shouldn't do either of those. You need to move off the solution. So um, three ways. One is... Uh, no guessing. So the first thing you can do is just like clarify what the fuck they mean by ERP. You know, I'd be glad to share our experience. But before we get too far down the path, ERP is a term that has come to mean a lot of things to a lot of people. What do you mean by ERP? That's one. And then boom, you're in it. And then, you know, and then 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 the conversation starts to flow and, and you just get in this like human interaction as opposed to like reciting your lines to someone. So that's the first way that you can do this. And again, this is like, this is like, here's a few variations of the arm triangle choke. But in reality, man, sometimes it's it's just fucking knife fighting. You just gotta just gotta muscle it. Okay. So they take all this and realize that like this is helpful and good, but not saying you have to do all this. Option two, move to the problems. I'd be glad to share our experience. We've had we have the opportunity to help many clients who are looking about implementing ERP systems. I heard you say you have unique needs. In order to keep my comments relevant to your situation, could you help me understand what specific kinds of things you're hoping to accomplish with the ERP? What, what specific kinds of challenges have you been having? And so that's like going back, like it's such a good example because going back to that question, hey, we think we're really unique. We're trying to figure out, do we buy or build? What do you expect? What do you recommend? Like, well, I don't fucking know, dude. You're super unique. Like, how are you unique? Like, what problems are you having right now that you're thinking an ERP system could solve? Let's start there. That's the second way 
And the third is you can move to the results. So the first is just clarify, you know, no guessing. Now you're in the conversation. The second is you can move to the problems. Like what problems are you having? And the third is you can move to the results. Hey, I'd be happy to help. Um, what are you trying to do that you like, let's say you put in this ERP system, like what would that allow you to do that you're not able to do right now? So the book dives way deeper, but the first step of this opportunity conversation of any sales conversation is try your fucking best to move off the solution. We're still an opportunity. This is long son. We're learning jujitsu with our minds, but if you want to continue with me, if you want to have everything you could ever imagine, you got to hang as we continue. And Mahan Khal says, let's get real or not play. Goodbye. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.